Well, God, we thank you so much for the just the whole picture of that song. And Jesus, how you came that we might know the Father. I just can sense in the room, and we all have failed, and we know what that's like. And it says that 100 billion failures that you have cleansed and you have wiped away. Lord, I just thank you so much for your grace and the gift of love that you've given us. And God, I pray that today as we talk about your love that you would help us, God, because it's difficult. It's hard to hear that that's how you want us to love others the same way you loved us. And I just pray you give us courage and strength today to tune in. I pray that in advance for anyone who's never said yes to you, Jesus, that today would be the day that this would be the moment when you say yes to the love that God has for you. I pray now that you speak to each of us at the point of our deepest need and longing and then what you know we from you for direction. And we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I don't know about you, but allergies are up today, right? So it's kind of hard to, a lot of sniffing going on and uh, congestion, but just so glad that you're here today. It's just a joy. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors, and it's, I just want to welcome you. Those of you who are, what do we have? You're waving at something. Stop it! Yeah, I tell you. Yeah, I tell you. The first service people had a lot more restraint, John. <laughs> oh, so, right, Bailey. Happy birthday. It's not inside your birthday, but thanks for saying happy birthday to me. That's wonderful. There we go. Okay, there we go. Anyway, so glad that you're here. So those of you watching online or watching from Escaton in the future or from the Nevada County Jail, we're just so glad that you watch with us. I want to encourage everybody watching online that there's also a connection card for you to fill out and there's notes for you to follow. In fact, if you grab your notes, that'd be great. We'll just jump right in. We have a lot to cover today and I really want to get with it and so that we get to cover everything that I believe that God's given us in this passage we'll be looking at. If you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be for most of our day today. And if you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one. I love it when I see people walk out of our building with these. You can stop by the bookshelves right out there. It's a gift to you. Uh, and we'd love for you to be able to take one of those with you as you leave. So as you've heard, we're in a series, and we're talking about how to practice life and live the life, life the way that Jesus did. So practicing the way of Jesus. And our theme verse is John chapter 10, verse 10, and it's on the top of your notes. And Jesus was speaking, and he says this, and he says, I have come that they, and by the way, that would be us, that they may have life and have it to the full. Anybody else want that? Yeah, we all want that. We all want the life that he said he came to give. The problem is we're just not sure how to get it. We're not sure. And so you know, there's all kinds of ways that people have told us how to get it. And then we look and we say, well, I followed that path and it didn't seem to lead me to the life that I believe Jesus was promising. How do I get to a sustained life that's full of joy that I can know? And that's what we're looking at in this series. We're actually looking at Jesus to see how he lived his life, and how we can do the same thing. So Jesus promised that. So the series, what we're doing is we're talking about this whole idea. It's three-pronged. Is this. If I'm going to have the life that Jesus promised, I need to first, I need to be with him. So I need to make time to 
be in his presence, to talk to him, to engage with him. And then secondly, as I do that, I'll become like him. And so we're all in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I know it's a lifelong process, and yet he encourages to engage in that because that's how we're going to be able to experience the fuller life. And then guess what? We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to go and we're going to be able to be witnesses for him in our world and bring his presence wherever is we go. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how do we live as people as love. Love. We think about love, right? You know, this is, heads up guys, this is Valentine's week, so I'm taking care of you here. It's Valentine's week, so we're going to talk about love this week. It's just kind of help us to be engaged with that. And so the apostle John himself was called the apostle of love. He was mentioned as the one Jesus loved. And so I think it's appropriate that when we talk about how did Jesus love, that we would look at the one who was known as the apostle of love, and we look at his recollection of how Jesus lived and what Jesus said and how Jesus approached people and especially talked about love, because he's going to be the one I think will be the most in tune with this idea of the love of Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, this season of life where Jesus is toward the end of his life. It's called the last discourse it begins with John chapter 13 through 17 before Jesus is going to be arrested and go to the cross. And he has his last moments with his trusted friends and he's expressing to them his most intimate thoughts and his intimate desires and his love for them. And so the whole conversation is centered on love and it's surrounded by love. And he's about to go on to this cruel and ugly death after he has these moments with him. And so this is another time for him to say goodbye to them as they had in that relationship, not for forever, but in the relationship that they had at that time. And then what he's going to do, he's going to say, I love you. And he's going to show them what he meant by that love. He's going to go out and die for them on the cross. So they get to hear the words and they get to see the actions. And then he shows us that's how he wants us to love. So in John chapter 13, what has happened is that they've had what we call the Lord's Supper. We had Passover and that Jesus comes and he has a meal prepared. And as he comes in, no one washes feet. So he humbles himself as a servant and he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. After that moment, he looks at them. And once again, remember, this is about love. This is about engagement. This is about, if you can think about if you could have your kids around you on your deathbed and that you're going to say the most important thing that you want them to hear, that's exactly what Jesus is doing right now. Most important words that he wants them to know. And he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. A new command I give you. And I think that they might have thought, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? We know the commands, and we know, and what you're saying isn't a new command, but let's see what he says. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So now he's given them the qualifier. He's saying, here's how I love, and this is how I want you to love, you, love others, and it's the way that I have loved you. By this, notice this, by this, everyone, underline that, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you love one another. So what I want to do is I'm going to take that two verses there, and I want to pull a couple of thoughts that we can kind of grab hold of today to help us to understand Jesus and the way he loved, what he was saying about love, and how we can approach this as we talk about how we love each other. The first one is this, is that love describes what Jesus came to do. If you want to know what Jesus came to do, he came to love. He came to bring God's love. He came to express God's love. He came to die because of love. He has been resurrected because of love. He now lives in us because of love. Everything of Jesus was about 
love. Jesus says that. He says, I came to love. And that's what we are to do. So when he says a new command, it wasn't necessarily a new command. It's just a new application of an old command. Because everyone that he's talking to at this moment would know that there there is one command that God gave in the Old Testament. In fact, there was a guy that came to Jesus one day while he was on the earth. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, he's trying to prove himself or justify himself in some way. He says, Jesus, I'd just like to know what's the most important thing that you want us to do, the most important commandment. And then Jesus says to him, in fact, turn your backside of your notes because that's where I put this verse from Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus answered him and said, it's at the bottom of the page, the most important commandments, you might underline, most important commandments, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this. And he's going to be going, oh, no, no, I don't want two. And Jesus said, no, it's just one. It's just one. He says, the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So all the way back in the Old Testament, as God's talking to his people about relationships, he's saying that love is the primary core feeling, action, attitude that he wants his people to have toward him and toward everyone else. And so what Jesus does is he says, I'm going to take that and I'm going to show you what that means and I'm going to expand it and you're going to be able to see by what I'm about to do when I go to the cross exactly what it is that God is asking us to do. So it's a new application of the commandment that he had in the Old Testament. So when Jesus, he didn't just give him a vague suggestion, you know, like, okay, well, here's love and you know, I just want you guys, you guys just go love, okay? Kind of a vague suggestion so that they have to figure it out on their own what it is that he actually meant. He gives them some concrete evidence, a concrete example. Then he went to the cross that we could see exactly what it was that he was talking about. Okay, let's go back to the first side of your notes. Second, Jesus is saying that love is the mark of a follower of Jesus. So that's what he says. Second, love is the mark of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Primary characteristic of God, primary characteristic of God is love. Primary characteristic of those who say they love God is that they will be people of love. If there's anything that God wants his people to be known for, it's love. If there's anything. So you start to stop and think about it. What does culture really think about the church? What does culture think about Christianity? And many times you will never hear the word loved used. Instead, you'll hear the word judgmental, closed-minded, angry, harsh, and not only to those outside the church, but here's the bad part, here's the tough part about this, you guys, is that they see that's the way that people treat each other inside the church, too, without love. And yet Jesus says the number one way that people will know him is by the way we love each other. That will be the mark. And I'll just say this, as I listen to the paper, as I listen to the news, as I might make observations for myself and culture, it seems to me that many Christians, and so we've been clear in this series, right? We don't at Twin Cities call us Christians. Just, you know, some of you may be confused by that, but it's just something that we did from the very beginning. Uh, and last couple of weeks ago, I told you the word Christians used three times in the New Testament, three, and most of those are negative. But the word that most distinguishes those who are followers of Jesus is the word disciple, 267 times. And so we're called to be apprentices of him. And so that's the role that we have. I heard a talk this week, a podcast, and the guy was talking about the whole love of God and how we experience that. And he says the second most common moniker that was given those who follow Jesus is saint. I said, oh, that's a pretty cool word too. It's not something, somebody does something and they you know, get honored, but they go to heaven someday, but it's how we live today and we live to honor God 
in our lives. And Jesus says, it's love that should mark you. Love. It's love that will be the most compelling witness to those who don't know me that I am real and the reality of what I've done. Francis Schaeffer, some of you may have heard of him, and he's got a book called The Mark of a Christian where I got this concept and idea. And this is what he says. In John 13 and 15, the point was that if an individual Christian does not show love toward other true Christians, the world has a right to judge that he is not a Christian, okay? Got that? Okay, the world has a right to judge that that person is not a Christian. Here, Jesus is stating something else, which is much more cutting, much more profound. We cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true, and that Christianity is true, unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians, love between those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And he goes on and says, let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. So he's saying, we need all the information that we can get. We need to be able to talk to people about what the gospel is and give theology and, but we, and commands and how do we live according to the commands of the Bible. But he says, but after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world what it is that God has to say, still we must never forget the final apologetic. What's an apologetic? The final um, apology, which means the final, this is the reason why I believe. This is the reason for my belief. The final apologetic, which Jesus gave, is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. Isn't that a challenge? I hear people say all the time, I would never go to that church because they're all hypocrites. I don't say that about our church, right? <laughs> but it's true. Because they're hypocrites, because they look at the way that people relate to other Christians, and they treat, see the way that they treat Christians, and they're like, why would I want to go, and I'm not even a Christian yet? Why would I want to become one if they're not going to treat me any better than that? So our love shows the world that we belong to him, and our love is the best testimony uh, that our lives have been transformed. The quality and the intensity of the love we have for one another that love that flows out into our world should mark and identify those who are followers of Jesus. This is the best testimony of the gospel, the quality of the love we have for each other. So you see why it's so important that we talk about this. Number three, Jesus equates love with being a friend. He equates love with being a friend. I'd never read this passage that we're about to study today from this perspective. And I was reading some commentaries and scholars, and they guided me this direction. And it's just when you start looking at it from the perspective we're going to look at it today, you can see how clearly that Jesus is talking about not just the love he has for us and what it looks like, but how then we could love each other and spelled out in the verses we're going to look at today. So in John chapter 15, we'll see that he describes that love and friendship go together. So we're going to read these verses in just a moment. And nine times, Jesus uses the word love. Three times, Jesus uses the word friend to describe what that love is all about. So he's saying love and friendship, they go together. So when he says, I love as the Father has loved me, if you could just go with me just a moment, he could be saying, I love as the Father has befriended me. So we're talking about the Trinity here. We're talking about Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, an eternal relationship, 
eternal friendship, if you want to use the word. And he said, as the Father has befriended me, I befriend you. And as I befriend you, I'm asking you to befriend others. So the key to this whole idea is that we would be loving friends. We would have loving friendships. So how do we do it? Well, that's the last idea is this. Jesus is our model for how friends love. He's our model. So what we're going to do is we're going to look to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this is not going to be easy. I didn't realize how hard it was till I gave the first message in the first service, and I'm squirming giving it. And I'm telling you, this is, this is like when uh, Lindsay said rubber meets the road. This is graduate level stuff on how we love each other. But it's exactly what God's called us to do, so it's really the basic stuff. Application is where it gets really difficult and complicated. So let's read these verses, and um, beginning with verse 9. So just imagine, once again, the concept here that Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he knows he's going to die. This is intimate talk. This is, this is from his heart. This is from his soul that he's communicating with them. So he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now this would have a lot of significance to them. I didn't read the first eight verses of chapter 15. The first eight verses talk about Jesus is that you must remain in me, you must abide in me, and that as you abide in me, you remain in me, you will produce fruit. And so all this was there in them. They said, it's about being with him. They would know this. So he says, now remain in my love. So when he's saying remain in me, he's saying, hook yourself into my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my, your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You notice there's two times there that he mentions joy. When he says, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. That's life that he's talking about, joy. I've come to give you life, as we talked about last week, this pressed down, shaken together, running over in your lap, happy joy. That's what I've come to give you, and that's what he's talking about now. Once you tap into me and you remain into my love, that's what you're going to experience as you love others the way I've loved you. Okay, let's go on. I have told you this so that my, my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. And go on, he says this. My command is this. So he says, my command, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. They still don't quite understand what he's saying. But we do because of history, we know. You are my friends if you do what I command. So what would that be saying? If I don't do, I'm not his friend? He's saying, if you do, you're my friend. If you walk with me. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Ends it with love each other. Now, in those verses, he uses the word command five times, command or commands, five different times as he's talking about love. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody wants to talk to me about love, I don't want to be prefaced with commands. You know, how do we feel when somebody commands us to do something, right? 
typically we don't respond very well to that. We would push away from that. So what we needed to stop, we need to understand exactly what Jesus was saying. And now I want to talk about how the culture views the word command, how the culture might view that. This is hard. This is really hard for how many people think about the Bible. Because many people, I would say those who don't go to church, those who maybe used to go to church but don't go anymore, they were left for this reason possibly, is that many people who don't go to church, they think about the Bible, that this book is a book of rules and regulations and commands. And that every time they went to church, somebody was telling them that they weren't keeping the commands, they weren't measuring up in some way, and they felt like that God didn't love them. And so in order to make, get God to love them, they had to keep the commands, the principles of this book. So they looked at that and said, that's the way that God wants us to live. Now, I just want to say this. That is true. That is true. Everything in this book is from God. It's his word. And so everything he says about the way to live is the right way to live. And so it's true that all of the commands he gives there is the way that he wants us to live. But the danger is this. The danger is when we start thinking that the Bible is nothing but a book of rules and laws and regulations and commands, and the church believes that its role is just to get people to keep the laws. And if we can get everybody to keep the laws, then it'll all be taken care of. And that does not solve anything. You go through any chapter in the Old Testament, <laughs> and you see how it doesn't work. doesn't work. So what happens in the church then, and we're the church, so I'm speaking to me, we become the gatekeepers then. We say, by we're the gatekeeper, we say who gets in or who's out of God's will by how they're keeping the rules as we've determined are most important and most every generation has what they think is most important, as we've determined is most important. And this is one of the reasons why I believe we're having such a difficult message, time getting across the message of Jesus Christ in our culture right now. Christians are seen as proponents and guardians of the message of the law, the law, primarily. But we're not seen as proponents and guardians of the message of love, and Jesus calls us to the message of love. See, folks, Jesus did not say, for God so loved the world that he gave us commandments to keep. Didn't say that. But he did say, for God so loved the world that he gave his son out of love to share with the world that the world might know his love. So we just need to ask ourselves, are we here on earth to be guardians of the law? Or are we here on earth to be guardians of love? And I would say we're here to be guardians of love. So today what I talk about, I want to talk about love. I want to talk about how we can have the kind of relationships that would be the ones that people would look at and say, I want that. I want what you have. I see that. I see the joy that you're experiencing. And this is deep level stuff. We talk about how to love like Jesus loved. And so I want to give us some ideas as we go through this. And so there's four observations we're going to make. And these are from the life of Jesus. So I know the bar is really high, okay? This is from the life of Jesus. This is what he says. Friends love unconditionally. Friends love unconditionally. So if I'm going to be the kind of friend that Jesus is talking about, then I need to look around and I need to love others unconditionally. It's already getting hot in here. <laughs> so what does that mean? It means that I love someone not based upon merit, 
I love someone not based upon a standard of behavior they've earned, but I love them simply because of who they are, of who they are. It means to love someone, not because of some inherent worthiness or loveliness inside of them. It means to love with no strings attached. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. So how did the Father love Jesus? I think that would be helpful, wouldn't it? I think it'd be helpful to know how the Father has loved Jesus. So I didn't put this verse on your notes. You want to write it down, Matthew 3, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And it's talking about the moment when Jesus was baptized, just as we had folks baptized here today. I talked with one of the persons who was baptized in one of the services, and I just said, I want you to visualize God saying this to you, just as he said to his son on the day he was baptized. And this is what happened. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And this is before CGI, okay? So it was real stuff. They saw it. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I what? Love, whom I love, if you know it, with him, I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I love, with him, I am well pleased. Wow. So had Jesus done anything to earn God's love up to this point? We don't know, because we don't know much about his life before this point. But here's what we do know. We do know that this is the inauguration of his public ministry. So for most of us, we'd say, he's not done the kind of stuff that his father would look down and say, this is why I sent you. It's all great. You've healed people. You've fed people. You've brought people back to life. You've done all that. So that's when I would say, you're my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. But he said that before Jesus did anything. He had done nothing at this point to earn God's favor. And God blesses him with the gift of unconditional love. And so I want you to know, I want you to hear that if you are in Christ Jesus... That's how God loves you. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's how God looks at you. The one whom I love, I am well pleased. How many of us grew up hearing those messages? We heard the opposite, that we don't keep the rules enough, that we're not good enough, we don't keep the commands, and so how could God love us? And so we always felt like we were trying to catch up. And then what happened is we realized we couldn't, and we turned away from God and the church because we didn't think it worked. That happens. And he sees us that way. It's an agape love. He sees us as his beloved. That's the phrase I like to use the most, his beloved. And that begins with unconditional love. So now, as a friend, I'm called to do that. Whoa, this is why I said it gets hard today. And so the, the, the thing that I put to the next is, is a friend loves you just because you're you. Wouldn't you want someone like that? Loves you just because you're you. You don't have to change first to become something different just because you're you. Okay, second is this. Friends love truthfully. They love truthfully. That's the way Jesus loved. He spoke the truth when he was here, and he's called us to do the same thing. If we're going to love in that way, we have to love truthfully as well. So I'll say that love is always concerned with the welfare of its friends. So my, if I'm going to love, I'm always concerned with the welfare of my friends. Love hates anything that's damaging or devastating to someone who is a friend. So here's the deal. Love will risk the friendship to tell the truth. Love will risk the friendship to tell the truth because love cannot stand to see someone tear their life down because of the decisions and choices they're making. Friends will tell you the truth in love. So I'll give you a couple more verses to write down. Ephesians 4.25, it says this, 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Some of you know it as speak the truth in love to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So we're called to speak the truth in love. And then write this down, Proverbs 27, 6. Proverbs 27, 6. And this is what Proverbs 27, 6 says. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you heard the thing that says that friend stabbed me in the back? Well, that, that wound wasn't faithful. But there is a wound that someone stabs you with that's faithful. And it's when they share the truth with you and talk to you about something that you need to know. Someone corrects you out of love and concern. That kind of wound is one that heals. And it goes on and says, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful because they serve a hidden agenda. And that is to, you know, it's not truth that's meant for the better of someone else. It's going to serve an agenda to do something for me as I do. So speaking of truth and love requires several things. I just want to give you a list here. It requires humility. If I'm going to speak the truth and love, I have to be humble. You may think you know what someone needs to hear, but honestly, you could be wrong. Honestly, you could be wrong. So one of the phrases that I get to use in my house a lot is this, and I love to practice this. Of course, I could be wrong. So when you approach someone to tell the truth, you could say right up front, here's what I'm saying. Of course, I could be wrong, but I love you too much. And we're going to talk about this phrase in just a minute, not to share this. It requires humility. Second, it requires honesty. Don't beat around the bush. Don't use flattery, but I, some of you need to use flattery because you go straight for the kill. Okay, so some of you need to not, you need to not take this one, okay? So, you know, they say that if you're going to give someone uh, uh, criticism or you're going to give an evaluation, you need to give them a compliment sandwich. Um, I just think that's not always the best approach. Sometimes the best approach is just to be honest, just to talk about what the truth is as you see it. True friends put enough trust in you to openly, to be open about your faults and what they see. Also requires compassion. That's number three, compassion. Uh, one of my mentors, his name was Bob Beal. He taught me this a long time ago when it was about the whole thing about giving evaluations and criticism. He said this, start your presentation this way. I care too much about you not to tell you this. That's compassion. I care too much about you. So then you're saying, I, I'm selling the truth, and it may hurt, but I care and love you too much not to tell you this truth. The old maxim is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we come there. And love asks, how can I share this in a way that's good for the person that's hearing it? And then the last thing I'm telling the truth is timing. Timing. You've just got to be wise. You know, this is where I struggle the most. When I have something that's just burning in me to say or tell, I have the hardest time holding back because everybody needs to know what I think, right? <laughs> but you know what I find is this? Is I find if I do hold back, I don't know if there's a percentage I wouldn't give you, but a large percentage of the time, I never have to say it because God works it out on his own. He's just shown me what I could have said. And then he shows me his power to work without me to be able to make that happen. But it's important that we look at timing here. So we want to make sure it's the right time. We want to make sure it's the right uh, place that we would do it at the right environment. And then we want to make sure this, that we don't share the truth with too much emotional energy because that just plasters someone and makes them defensive when we do that. A friend loves you enough to say hard things, 
hard things. Number three, friends love loyally. They love loyally. Now, Jesus, his love is committed loyal love that he's talking about here in John chapter 15. He loved us even when loving us was difficult and costly. So I got all excited again when I started thinking about this idea, going back to our study in Ruth that we went through uh, later in, uh, in 2019. Uh, one of the most transformational studies I've ever done was going through our study in Ruth. And as it talked about Hesed love, we talked a lot about that. Hesed love is loyal love, it's committed love, it's steadfast love. And the whole story of Ruth is built around that. It's about the Hesed love that they had, Ruth and Naomi had for each other, and then Boaz. But it's really about the Hesed love that God had for them as well, as we get to see that, and for his people. So when we talked about that, if you remember that Ruth and Naomi uh, had lost everything, they'd lost their husbands, and Naomi figures there's a point where she's going to go back to her, her family, she's going to go back home, and so she has hesed love toward Ruth at that moment, because she knows that Ruth, if she goes back to Naomi's homeland, that she will be treated poorly, and that it won't be good for her, because she'll wait away from family and all those things, and so she says to Ruth, why don't you go back home? I'm going back to my homeland, and if you come with me, you will be an outsider. There will be all kinds of challenges and difficulties for you to face. Why don't re you return to the people, your people, and go home? And so she says that to Ruth with Hesed love, and Ruth, it, you know, Annie's that up, and she comes back to her, and this is what she says. It's full response. She says, an example of loyal, committed love, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where I go, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth says to Naomi at that moment, this is Hesed, loyal love. I'm with you to the end, come whatever may, whatever may come, no matter what. And that's loyal love. And that's what a friend does. A friend sticks with you closer than a brother. A friend sticks with you to the very end, no matter what, no matter what. Now, this is where it gets really complicated because we live in a world uh, where there's a lot of craziness that goes on, and people go off rail, they get outside of what would be any normal relational boundaries or standards, and so somewhere along the line, you've got to put up boundaries, and you've got to talk about what you're willing to do. But when you do that, you don't have to disassociate yourself from loving a person just because you've disassoci disassociated yourself of being in the presence of a person. So we're still called to love even when someone goes through some very difficult things. Number four, friends love sacrificially. They love sacrificially. So Jesus was a, his, his love was a dying in their place kind of love. That's what it was, a dying in their place kind of love. It's a love that says, my life is yours. It's a love that asks, how can I put what would be good for you ahead of what would be good for me? How do I do that? And then acts on that. Love is an attitude or an action of your heart and body to will the good of another over your own. And we live in such a selfish age that this is where it gets really hard for us to think about, I'm going to live for the will, your will, the, the good for you above my own? Imagine if we all did that, that we all lived in that way. This is what Tim Keller says in a message he did called You Are My Friends. He says, a true friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Always lets you in means there's vulnerability, so there's no, plat no uh, uh, shields. 
So a true friend is vulnerable, and there's truth-telling that goes both ways and never lets you down, meaning that you can count on that person to be with you and to walk with you, always lets you in. So folks, I just believe it's this. We must practice the way of Jesus when we talk about love. We must show the love the way that Jesus showed love. We must treat our friends the way that Jesus treated his friends. In order for us to do that, here's the bottom line. I cannot do that apart from his spirit in my soul. So if you're hearing me today saying, do this, do this, do this, you need to gear up and do more, that's not what we're saying today. What I'm saying is that you will know how close you are to God by, how, by whether this is coming out of you or not. It comes naturally when we meditate on the love of God that he has for us. It comes naturally when we are being with Jesus because what we're talking about right now is becoming like Jesus as we're close to him. We have to think about how does God love us? Well, they were able to see God, see Jesus go to the cross and then later they were able to put two and two together to realize that that's what Jesus was talking about and that's love. And then Paul's reflecting on that and this is what he says in Romans 5. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. None of us deserved it. And Christ died for us. And I just want you to know that if we're going to be able to love others, we have to really understand the love that God has for us. And that's why we spend so much time here at Twin Cities talking about the love that God has for us. Because as we get it, it's going to go out of us. As we understand it, it's going to be who we become. And we're going to be, become the most loving place, but we have to meditate on his word. Last quote. David Benner from the book called Surrender to Love. I mentioned this book last summer and how in the summertime this was very helpful for me, especially as we talked about the Ruth series. He says, love and love alone is capable of making a person willing to give up his or her own life in loving others. If God's heart is to become mine... I must know his heart. Meditating on God's love has done more to increase my love than decades of effort to try to be more loving. Anybody relate to that? We try to be more loving. We try to be more loving. And I'm not asking you to try to be more loving. I'm asking you to meditate on how much God loves you and what he says here. Then we'll become more loving as we do that. As we know we're loved unconditionally by God, we're able to love others without condition. As we know we're loved truthfully by God, we're able to love others enough to say hard things. I'll just add this. We're able to hear hard things, too. It has to go both ways. As we're loved loyally by God, we're able to love our friends with a committed love that stands by them to the very end, no matter what. And as we're loved sacrificially by God, we're able to love our friends with nothing held back. And when that marks us, then I believe our culture will look and say, that's what I want. That's what I believe. That's the love I want. I want to follow that God too. And that's my dream. So when it says above the fireplace, love everyone always, that's not a slogan. That's who we are. And that's what the world needs to know and to see that we love everyone always. Would you bow your heads and let's pray? God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak about love and what challenges has been for me and in both services today, you've just been showing me ways that 
you want me to um, tackle this in my life and um, where there's discrepancies between what I'm saying and what I do. And I just thank you for your grace right now and your mercy toward me and your love. And I think that would be everyone here. I just want you to feel that from God, that he would look at you. If you're in his family, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, that he looks down and says, you are the one whom I love. I'm pleased. I'm pleased with you. Even if we're not perfect. Even if we make mistakes. Even if all 100 billion failures were ours. Each one individually. And I thank you, God. And I pray now for anyone who's never said yes to Jesus. To receive that love. I pray today would be your day that you would say yes right now. Say, Jesus, I want that kind of love. I believe you went to the cross for me. Because as the Bible said there, I know I'm a sinner. I know. I look at the wreck my life is in. I know I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? And will you help me now, Jesus? to know what it's like to know you, to walk with you. I want to live with you. I want to become like you. I want to do what you did in my world. I want to influence this world for you, Jesus. And Jesus, I think and I pray for our church that we would realize that these are trying times and that we would give up trying to um, prove who's right or wrong. Instead, we'd be able to say, here's what love does. Let me love you. Here's how love responds. Let me love you. And Jesus, no matter what we see, no matter what others say, that we would choose to take the high road. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.